please take your seats and focus your attention on the video screens. Exciting and come aboard. We're expecting you and love. Life's sweetest reward. Let it flow. It floats back to you. Everybody hear me? Is everything working okay? I'm Scott Kelly of Summer Sky. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you the master of ceremonies for today's luncheon, Mr. Neil Scott. Hi everybody and welcome aboard the Tap Caribbean Adventure Education on the High Seas. I hope that you're enjoying your time here in beautiful San Antonio and especially your passport to paradise at the 42nd Annual TAP Conference. I was honored to be asked again this year to return to MC this event, as well as to broadcast from this amazing conference, our radio show, Recovery Coast to Coast. We've been on the air for the past 12 years, two hours a night, five nights a week, America's nightly voice for recovery, talking about addiction and recovery. If you would like to be a guest on the show, if you're involved with a treatment program, if you're a sponsor, you'd like to share your story, uh, please see me after the luncheon and we can arrange that. Uh, I also have been recording the main presentations here at the TAP conference this year. They will be available at soundcloud.com forward slash recovery coast to coast. I want to thank uh, Summer Sky for sponsoring my visit to TAP. And if for some reason you don't know about Summer Sky, it's one of the oldest and most successful treatment centers in Texas. They have been successfully treating individuals and families for over 30 years. And as most of you know, Scott Kelly is the president of Summer Sky, and he was named the Mel Schulstadt Addiction Professional of the Year back in 2014. He's one of the true leaders and legends in the addiction field nationally. I thank you, Scott, for your generosity, but more than that, I thank you for your friendship. I love TAP. People ask me about my hat, which I designed and had made specifically for the conference. It says, Quality Care, Successful Treatment, and that embodies the spirit of TAP. I belong to a 12-step program, ladies and gentlemen. It's for talk show hosts. It's called On and On and On and On and On and On and On. I will try to work my program, and I will try to keep the ship on course. Over the next couple of hours, you're going to hear about some of the latest news regarding our industry, the recent legislative session, 
and our professional organization. Also, we're going to salute some of our own counseling family this afternoon with our annual awards while recognizing some of the special students that are here today who are stars of tomorrow. But first, I would like to ask Lori Rowe to come to the stage to offer invocation. Lori? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this wonderful event. I thank you for the people in the room and their servants' heart. I thank you for the board that's put on this event. And Father, I pray right now that each one leaves here just knowing you a little better. Father, I thank you that each one has a servant's heart and that even Jesus said, whatever we do to the least of my brothers and sisters, we do it unto you. I thank you for the food we're about to receive, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lori. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy your lunch. Sound. Ladies and gentlemen, due to a full agenda this afternoon, I'm going to invite you to keep enjoying your meal, but do it quietly and focus your attention to the stage as we begin our program this afternoon. At this time, I would like to invite this year's conference co-chairs, Ellen Horst and Keith Lyles, to the stage for the first presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, your cruise directors keeping the TAP cruise on course. Come on up, Keith and Ellen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Can you hear me okay? Louder? This year's conference is a culmination, as is each year's, of 18 months of hard work by a group of men and women it is our conference committee. Um, I'd like all of our conference committee people to stand up if they would. Give them a round of applause, please. Thank you. I especially want to stay, uh, thank Johnny Villar, if you would stand up. That, there she is. <clears throat> She's going to be our tap girl for the day. Each year there's always that one person who goes above and beyond the call of duty and receives the Volunteer of the Year Award. And it gives me great joy to present that award this year to Julie Lloyd Atkinson. Yay! Totally awesome. Speaking of hardworking volunteers, TAP has been fortunate over the past 42 years to have hundreds of committed men and women step into leadership roles for their organization. And at this time, I'd like to ask the current members of the State TAP Board to stand and be recognized. Nice.
Would any members of the State Certification Board please rise and be recognized? And finally, any members of the Texas TAP Peer Assistance Board, please rise and get your due. Yeah. Coming up to the stage right now is the current president of the Texas Association of Addiction Professionals, Suzanne Lofton. She's going to share a few words about TAP. Suzanne? Good afternoon. I want to welcome all of you to the conference. And <clears throat> thank you for being a part of our conference. This conference has gone above and beyond all of our expectations. I want to thank Keith and Ellen. The decorations on the table, that's all in Keith's mind. Every year he comes up with a different theme. And that has helped to make our conference great. You being here and has been such a great uh, re reward for their hard work. And I ask that you enjoy the rest of the conference. We have the afternoon, our uh, town hall meeting, and then tomorrow we're going to be giving away the door prizes at the keynote speakers. I want to recognize right now the behind the scenes, the ones who the TCBAP and the board, our Red Hat management team. If you want to stand, please. Thank you. They're at the other end of the phone when you call about your license or about your certifications, and they do a great job for us. They keep the uh, budgets and everything. And we couldn't do what we do without them. So thank y'all so much for your hard work. I want to invite you to continue enjoying the conference, the spa. If you haven't been out to the Lazy River this afternoon after everything's over, it's a wonderful place. We're going to be back here next year. And next year's theme is going to be superheroes. I'll talk more about that later. But thank y'all for joining us. Yes, excuse me. I am supposed to introduce. Hold on. I want to introduce. I want to introduce Dwayne Gallagher, who is our TAP lobbyist in Austin, who works tirelessly on half, behalf of TAP to ensure we're best positioned and educated about our current legislative trends and bills that will impact our profession. Come on up, Dwayne. Sorry about that. Good afternoon. Can everyone hear me okay? Great. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Dwayne Gallagher. I'm a, a lobbyist that focuses on the state politics and state government. I've had the pleasure of working with uh, TAP for over nine years now. Uh, and it, I've seen a lot of changes in that time, uh, both uh, in our uh, how we're perceived at the legislature and how successful we've been in advocating for positive change uh, at the state capitol. I want to give you a quick overview of what happened during the last legislative session and then talk a little bit about 
uh, what we're looking at going into the legislative session that's set to begin in January of next year. During the last two legislative sessions have without question been the most successful uh, from a funding aspect sessions for substance use disorder issues in, uh, in probably our state's history. Uh, we saw a record increase in 2013 of over $30 million uh, in increase in state funds dedicated specifically for substance use disorder treatment. Uh, during the last session, the first objective we had was to make sure that we continued that funding level, uh, but we also were able to get an additional $7.8 million uh, in increased funds for prevention programs. Uh, we hope to build on that going into the next legislative session. There were also some important structural changes that, that happened that, that may be affecting some of you that you, or, or certainly will in the coming uh, months and years. Uh, we saw a, a dramatic change in how our Health and Human Services Commission is organized. This was the result of something called the sunset process, which many of you may be familiar, where agencies go through a comprehensive review to make sure they're performing their core functions well and their focus is in the right place about once every 12 years. And it just so happened that last session, our health and human service agencies were up. Part of what the legislature decided to do was to reorganize the Department of State Health Services to focus more on core public health functions and to take the, the delivery of services and t licensure type functions away from that agency. So starting actually next month, you will see the Health and Human Services Commission, which is kind of the, the umbrella uh, agency, take over funding uh, for substance use treatment programs. And I think this is a, uh, an important thing to note because uh, it really shows the trend on where things are going with substance use disorder. It's no longer siloed, it's no longer a standalone agency, but the growing trend is to further integrate substance use disorder treatment in with, with mental health, so in, into what we call behavioral health uh, collectively, but also to integrate behavioral health into physical health. Because we see in study after study that what, when you don't have a substance use or mental health problem that is, that is correctly identified and that person receives the treatment, you see the cost repercussions in the physical health side. Uh, this was, was actually first, uh, first believed by the legislature when they were looking at the criminal justice system where they saw that investing in treatment and, and diversion programs would reduce our, our rates of recidivism and reduce the cost of incarcerating people, but it's starting to trickle over to the medical side as well. We saw, I believe in 2011, we added a Medicaid benefit for uh, outpatient substance use disorder treatment, and now we've seen an increased dedication by the legislature um, to fund programs and to do so in a way that we coordinate the care for an individual and integrate uh, with physical health. So you're going to see, even though it's still a, a, the block grant funded programs are, are going to be a little bit separate than, than traditional Medicaid uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, many do have to do with eligibility determinations, but you're going to see more coordination there. And I think as, as years go on, it's only going to get further integrated. We also saw last session that the legislature was, was very committed to having a single point of access for uh, accessing services. Um, this is going to be streamlined. You're going to see a lot more uh, um, of the front door, so to speak, for services being at our local um, uh, um, mental health facilities. But we also were able to amend that, that language that implemented this to make sure that they look at the traditional infrastructure that's been in place for substance use disorder. Uh, I want to talk a little bit, and we don't have a whole lot of time, but I'll try to cover a number of topics. But what are we looking at going into the next legislative session? Well, big picture overall, um, you know, you always have to keep in mind kind of what's, what's the, the tone of the legislature, who are you dealing with, is there turnover, what's our budget situation like? 
And in this session upcoming in January, we don't expect to see a lot of turnover. In fact, it's, it's probably more stable than it's been in recent years. The, the governor is going to be back. The speaker will be back. The lieutenant governor will, will be back. Some more key chairmen uh, are returning. We do have a, a new chairman of, of uh, House Appropriations that will be named uh, sometime early in the session. And we will also have a new chairman of the House Public Health Committee, which, depending on the legislative session, either public health or human services tends to get bills related to substance use disorder. So we will have some new leadership there. Um, we have you know, made inroads with a number of legislators that we believe are, are likely to be on the short list for those positions, and we'll continue to work to develop those relationships as we get closer to the session. Last session we had, uh, I think by, by all accounts, about as much money as we could expect as, as a state government to uh, be available to spend. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the bigger discussion was how can we um, you know, pay down some of our budget uh, maneuvers and gimmicks that have been used over the years to balance the budget and really try to get out in front and get ahead. We have a record surplus in our rainy day fund. So the state's in good financial shape, but having said that, Revenues aren't, aren't going in that direction looking forward. Um, nobody, no one has really made a concrete forecast for what our budget situation will look like, but we do not expect to have near the available money uh, as we did the previous session, although probably uh, you know, not such ba a bad situation that we'll be looking at a shortfall. I think most people are considering it about break even. There will be some, some new programs funded. There are, always are, but in the health and human services space, I can tell you that most of the attention right now uh, is going towards one of two things. Uh, it's going towards our foster care system or their child protective services, and it's going towards uh, behavioral health and, and mental health. As, as, as a lot of legislators will see behavioral health and they'll think uh, mental health, and it's our job to remind them that substance use disorder and, and the co-occurring problems that people have are a big part of that. The legislature did uh, name an interim committee on mental health, um, but we were quick to note, again, in the charge, and when you actually read the description, it did include substance use disorders. Uh, that committee is chaired by Four Price in Amarillo. Uh, he is a rising star in the legislature, very thoughtful, very effective legislator, um, who actually chairs the subcommittee that writes the budget for Health and Human Services. So he's in charge of substance use funding, and also now in charge of the policy aspect of behavioral health. They are having their first, they've had a number of hearings this interim, but the first one specifically focused on substance uh, abuse issues, along with veterans issues and homelessness, this coming Tuesday. Um, we have been working, I know uh, several uh, folks were invited to testify, and that is something that we're, we're just very appreciative that the legislature is looking at these issues and is paying attention to. And we're seeing that stigma that, that was probably there you know, 15, 20 years ago, really slowly subside. Uh, we still have a ways to go, and there's still, you know, some folks in, that say things at times that kind of make you turn your head and, and really wonder where they're coming from, but we are making progress. Uh, and that's really, I think, a testament to the work that so many individuals, including those in this room, have done educating folks that substance use disorder uh, is uh, a brain disease. It is something that can be treated, and we can effectively deploy our resources and, and get outcomes. Uh, if you look at forward at the challenges that may be facing us uh, from an advocacy perspective with the legislature, I think it is going to be that, that they've spent new money. They've, they've increased, um, particularly with mental health, and they, again, we kind of get lumped into them with them whether we like it or not. But we've seen this increase in funding, and now's the time they're going to start asking questions about how do we measure whether this has been effective or not. You know, what have the results been? Uh, and to that end, our message has consistently been 
that while we are certainly appreciative of the increase in funding over the last two sessions, it's still just a drop in the bucket compared to those who need treatment and aren't able to access it. Uh, the state's own studies have shown that between 5 and 6% of those who have a substance use disorder actually are able and go and receive treatment. Uh, that's something we have to improve on as a state if we're going to expect any real measurable improvement. Um, we also have to talk about workforce issues with the legislature. Uh, this comes up um, routinely, particularly with, with our, um, our, 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 it's been the Department of State Health Services, but it'll soon be the Health and Human Services Commission that, that, that writes the rules for how we, how we regulate treatment, how we regulate facilities in particular. This has been a big issue with the 448 rules, but we have to make sure that there's sufficient workforce that's able to fill these positions and that we fund these, these, these programs sufficiently so that they can entice new people to enter the LCDC profession. Our message is simple. Uh, we, we need to reduce any type of, of regulatory burden that, that prevents people from getting treatment, uh, whether that's you know, unnecessary regulations on facilities or on counselors. Uh, we also need to make sure that we are funding uh, these programs and, and funding them in a way that, that they're able to succeed. Um, we can't just expand you know, access and say we're going to, you, to pro provide more beds but not also increase the rates because then you know, there's a lot of empty beds out there that, from programs that, that can't afford to take the loss that you have to take. Um, I've told this story a couple times, but a few sessions ago, the, the, the final you know, you know, hump that we had to get over was with a, a legislator who was very critical in writing the budget for, for Health and Human Services. And, you know, they hear from everyone. Every, every type of group comes to them and says, we need more money. And that's just the reality that, that we face as lobbyists. How do we differentiate? How do we stand out and make our case? And I showed him that if you look at inpatient rates for substance abuse facility, there were certain state employee hotel allowances that were higher than our treatment rates. So you had to house them and provide treatment and, you know, overhead for, for operating a business. And it, that was just, you know, kind of an aha moment that he said, okay, well, this is, you know, this is really, you know, out of whack here. So we did get an increase. Um, what we are looking at for next session, our number one priority is going to be funding. Um, we plan to have a, a legislative training day. I, I think that we're still working on pinning down the date. It's going to be joint with the Association of Substance Abuse Programs for some time in November, where we hope many of you will, will come or, or if we have a conference dial in, participate in some way but learn the basics of how we advocate. How do you communicate with your, your legislator? I was just uh, speaking with your volunteer of the year, Ms. Julie, and she told me that she's got a new state representative that hasn't even been sworn in yet. She's already been talking to her about substance use disorder issues. You know, that's the way that we effectuate change, by developing those relationships with your local legislators, because there are so many moving parts and there's so many things that happen during the session um, you, you, we really just can't comprehend how, how difficult it is for legislators to really understand everything. You know, they may understand a little bit on the committees they serve on, but if you don't go and talk to them and you don't show the, the impact that, that having treatment programs and having beds available in their community impacts the quality of life for so many Texans, they don't hear it from anyone else. Uh, it really is up to us and up to the people in this room. So we will be doing that training. Uh, we will be finalizing what our, our message is going to be as far as funding increase. We found that we're successful when we're kind of singing from the same hymnal as the agencies when they submit their budget requests for additional funding. And we have reason to believe that there will be an increase uh, requested by the agency for substance use treatment. Um, and, and we want to make sure that we're kind of mirroring uh, that and, and, 
and aligning our request with what the state is saying is, is the best way to at attack this problem. So there's a lot going on. We, we do know that there will be numerous bills filed uh, on a couple of topics. One uh, I'll touch on, we, have, we had a number that did not pass last session for various reasons that we think will come back. Good Samaritan provisions, uh, tamper-resistant opioids, um, the ban-the-box legislation. Some of those have been more successful than others, but we think we have a good chance at looking at a number of those type of issues to, uh, as I kind of put them in a category of reducing the stigma of substance use disorder. We also know that we will have uh, some, some legislation related to prescri the prescription drug and opioid epidemic. Uh, that's getting a lot of attention. I know Lieutenant Governor Patrick has, has raised this many times that this will be a priority for, for his office. Uh, we're not sure how they're, they're going to approach that. Um, we think, obviously, the, the, the first um, you know, way to look at this is, is having available treatment options for people. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, it sounds like a broken record, but that's, uh, that's our message. And, you know, they can, um, they can get cute about it and come up with all these ideas, but if you, don't, if you have people who need treatment who can't access it, you're never going to, to be successful. Uh, and that's our message. We plan to cooperate with, with the leadership on these issues and, and really try to have input from counselors in the field who are seeing this on a daily basis like yourself um, rather than just uh, think tanks and policy wonks uh, down in Austin. So those are some of the things that we're working on. Um, I, if we've got a little time, I'd be happy to take any questions that anyone might have as we look forward to the next session. Not all at once. All right, well, if there aren't any questions, uh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, we do have one over here. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry, could you repeat that, please? Well, I think anything with Texas is usually kind of towards the end and, and, and dragging behind the other states. Uh, you know, one of the graphics we've looked at and, and distributed shows you know, the 10 most populous states, and you know, I think we're still last, but at least we're, we're seeing some improvement. Uh, I think you will see funding um, start to catch up when we, as we get more integrated with physical health because you know, we were such a heavy managed care state in our Medicaid population. They understand that you, know, you can invest in two things and see your physical health costs reduce. Um, adherence to prescription medication and behavioral health treatment. Uh, those are huge cost drivers for physical health. And as we see that integration, we're making sure we remind policymakers that investing in behavioral health pays dividends. You, know, you do see cost returns on that. Uh, and it's, it's been a hard sell to, to make at times, but I think we're making progress, albeit more slowly than I'd like. Yes, right in the back. Absolutely, we do. A, yeah, absolutely. We, we do plan to have a legislative day during the legislative session uh, where we have a number of counselors every year and go try to see every office at the Capitol. Uh, we will have what the specifics of what we're asking for uh, well before then, um, but that's something we hope to make available to folks in the fall training. We've still got enough time because the legislature doesn't convene until January, and we want to make sure that, that what we're asking for um, has the best chance of success, and that's going to be to coincide with, with what our agencies are looking at with their legislative appropriation requests. But we'll get a lot of information out to you. We'll certainly work on that. Yes, sir. Um, 
yes, um, we hear it a lot, and I think actually you'll hear some testimony about that very topic on Tuesday. I know one of the, the folks that's been invited to, testimony, to testify has, I think, the only detox facility south of San Antonio, uh, Charlie's Place. So we will have some discussion on that without question. And, you know, it, there, there's need across the board, but that's a particular area of acute need, uh, particularly in some areas that don't have detox beds. Okay, I think that's it for my time. Thank you all so much. Enjoy the rest of your conference. Wow, he does great work. Thank you so much. Our special guest speaker today is someone who certainly shares TAP's mission of providing education, prevention, and treatment support to those plagued by addiction. Daniel Baldwin is a veteran actor, director, and producer. He is the second eldest of the four Baldwin brothers, best known for his role in the TV series Homicide Life on the Street and The Sopranos, as well as the movies Born on the Fourth of July, Grey Gardens, and even VH1 Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew. As you will learn today, Mr. Baldwin has struggled with addiction issues since back in 1989. He had a very serious cocaine addiction. He had a share of negative consequences that received public notoriety. We look forward this afternoon to hearing how he turned his life around and his writing and directing contributions to the award-winning movie, The Wisdom to Know the Difference. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in giving a Texas-sized tap welcome to Mr. Daniel Baldwin. Good afternoon, my name is Daniel Baldwin and I am an alcoholic and a drug addict. <clears throat> I would be remiss if I was not to open by making uh, <clears throat> two astute observations. Number one, I have never been involved in a Love Boat parody before, <laughs> but for sure I'm Isaac the bartender, I call it right now. And number two, for those people who put on this conference, and, and particularly the caterers, having the cheesecake out when you sat down to start was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant for a diabetic addict, no doubt. <clears throat> I, I, you know, I'm going to go through really quickly um, some history for me personally. I have, uh, as you know, three brothers that are also actors, two of which who are sober also. Uh, and two sisters who don't get any credit. And, I, and yes, I have two sisters, Beth and Jane. Um, but, you know, marijuana for me was, and they talk about it being the gateway drug. Make no mistake about it, in this country and in, in the drug community, I don't really, I've never met anyone that started using cocaine or started using heroin or some other drug. It all starts in that junior high school or high school level of somebody having a joint and saying to you, hey, try this. And that peer pressure, I, I can remember the first time that I ever did it. I can remember feeling that the older kids and the girls were going to judge me if I, if I said, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And I succumbed to that in 10th grade in high school, and I smoked a joint on the golf course with these other kids. And I thought to myself, I don't really like the way that made me feel. It, it, it wasn't the answer for me. And then, and then later on, after small, and I still continued, even though I didn't like it, I did it from time to time with my friends. The first time I ever drank alcohol, I was 13 years old, 
And I got so sick from shotgunning beers with the older kids, I laid in the top bunk with my brother Alec kicking the bottom of the bunk. And it was with him and his friends. And I remember getting really, really sick and saying to myself, why would anyone want to feel like this? Why would anyone want to feel like this? The room was spinning and I was vomiting and it was terrible. I didn't drink again from 13 until I was 18 years old. I never had another sip of alcohol. It, it, it affected me so badly. Later in my life, and I had snorted cocaine, I'd never used a needle and still never have. Um, but I remember I started my career as a stand-up comedian, which a lot of people don't know. And I moved out to Los Angeles and got a job at the Improv, the famous Improv in L.A. And they gave me uh, Wednesday night at 11 o'clock. There was probably less than this table in the audience when I would go on. <clears throat> And the doorman, the head of the door, door guys, this guy Ryan, said, hey, so-and-so, a very, very famous singer, has hired me to guard her estate while she's away on her European tour. You want to come to the kickoff party tomorrow night? And I said, yeah, I'm going there. Let's go. And I walked in the door, and this was my night, the, the, the night that my love affair with drugs really started. And I had, I received the greatest opening line I ever heard from a female in my life. One of the backup singers for this very famous singer walked up to me, and her name was Penny. And she had a fishnet top on with nothing on underneath it. And she walked up to me and she said, how you doing, baby? What magazine cover did you just jump off of to come visit Miss Penny? <laughs> this big mouth bass was in that boat so quick. And she walked me into the bathroom, and she locked the door, and she took out this little glass pipe. Now, I mean, I'm not that naive. I had an idea, you know, that a glass pipe meant we were about to smoke something, but it wasn't a pipe like I'd ever seen before with marijuana or any of the things that I had done. And she opened up a, a, um, a film vial, and she dumped out these little white rocks on the counter. And I looked down at it, and I saw the size that she put in, and she had a fancy torch, and she blew it out, and... She leaned back, and, and I grabbed something like about the size of my thumb. And, I, and she went, no, don't! And I put it in there, and I took this hit of crack cocaine. And I remember exhaling it and holding on to the sink. And, and, and the euphoria that I felt, and I thought to myself, I, I literally, I think I might have even mouthed the words, does it get any better than this? I had found my drug. You know, different addicts will tell you that, you know, that, that needle and that feeling of going that down from heroin or whatever, this was my stuff. Six months later, I was in the Hazeltine Clinic. I was on a television series and I had to go to my producers and I had to tell them, I cannot stop smoking this stuff. I, I, I smoked it every day, every single day for those six months until I had to check myself in. And I went on an odyssey of... 20 years plus in and out of the best rehabs that there were, supposedly, where I was paying $50,000, $70,000 a month to try to get it right, and I just, I just couldn't do it. I, I really could not stop. And it wasn't until I went into recovery the last time, the last bout back in 2006, where I remember the manager of the hotel at uh, in Santa Monica, at the low Santa Monica Beach Hotel. I'm in the presidential suite. I've dug myself in deep, and I've been in there for two weeks. No, no towels. I won't let anyone come in the room. And he finally comes and knocks on the door, and he took one look at me, and he went, you have to go. You have to leave. 
And I thought, you know, my credit card's still good. What are you talking about? And he said, I, I need you to pack your stuff up and I need you to leave the hotel now, Mr. Baldwin, please. And so I threw my stuff in a bag and I literally remember sitting on the curb in Santa Monica thinking to myself, my phone had blown up and, you know, my, my, my ex-wife, ex-wife, um, and, and all my family members and people that I worked with on this TV show that I was now on just said, Hey man, you got to come in, you got to do something. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, how long could I go sleeping on different people's couches or what could I do in order to continue this, this uncontrollable, unmanageable lifestyle that I was living? So I checked into another hotel um, down in Marina del Rey. And I liked this hotel. And this is the insanity of the drug. Um, I liked the hotel because I would rent the room across the way from me so that when I called my dealer, he would text me when he got there and I would peek out the, the, the peephole and watch him go in the room and leave the drugs under the pillow. And then when he left, I knew the coast was clear and I could run across the hallway and get the stuff and come back in my room. And I sat on my bed and I started getting really bad pain down my left arm and numbness. Now I knew quite well that this was a pre-cardiac arrest situation and I thought in this drug addict's mind, I watched the numbers roll over on one of those old fashioned clock radios that it was, a, it was a, a sheet with the number that would flip over. And I thought to myself, just don't do another hit for 30 minutes and you won't die of a heart attack in the hotel room. So I'd sit for 29 minutes until the 30th minute came over again. And then I'd load the pipe up and I'd smoke it again. And my entire chest would get numb and my arm would start hurting in uncontrollable pain. And I started shaking and I sat there and I smoked it for 19 days without sleeping or eating or showering, or anything. I went for 19 days feeling my arm get numb and go into pain. And finally I ran out. I had no more cash. My credit cards had been cut off. My cell phone was turned off. And I called Greg Hanley from the Sober Recovery Center and I asked him, can you help me please? My insurance is out. I don't have any money. I don't know how I'll repay you, but I'm in really bad trouble. And they came and got me. That was 10 years ago. Um, <clears throat> I think that the most important thing about particularly the people in this room that you'll understand that outsiders don't understand is that it's a disease. People still don't acknowledge it the same as they do as cancer or something. Because if you tell someone, uh, you know, in the insurance board or, or a politician, hey, we need to do something about this outbreak of Ebola, boy, did Texas respond when that happened. I mean, you guys rallied in this state and spent some $600 million in 48 hours because Ebola had landed in the United States. 49,000 people died of opiate overdoses last year. 49,000. Making it from off, off the chart into the top 10 killers in the United States. They are projecting that it will be closer to 70,000, but certainly over 60,000 in the year 2017, which means more people will die from opiate overdoses in the United States in 2017 than died in the entire Vietnam War. Boy, we found a way to fund that though, didn't we? We found a way to go ahead and send that money over there to solve our problems and lose 58,000 lives. But we're struggling to try to keep kids alive. It's in every one of your high schools, every single one of them. It knows no socioeconomic boundaries. It knows no race, creed, or color boundaries. And it is killing our children. 
This generation, if we don't do something about this soon, and it's Texas too, if we don't do something about it soon, I'm a baby boomer, these are now millenniums, and they will be known as the heroin generation, for sure. It's that bad. You have no idea until you go up into Massachusetts right now, and in, in Vermont, and in New Hampshire, where entire towns are shutting down. They can't find people to work in the stores anymore. The grocery stores have seniors in there trying to bag groceries and stuff. They can't find kids that'll do it. They're all shooting heroin. And, and I don't say that loosely. I mean, I've gone up there and dragged kids out doing interventions and put them in programs to try to help them. We're in really, really bad trouble. And the people in this room are on the front line right now fighting it. So I would like to say really quickly, thank you so much, everyone in this room for what you do to try to turn this around because it, it is absolutely an epidemic that's going on right now. I think the thing that I, being in, in a room with clinicians and people that are, that are actually in, in the recovery business, if you will, and part of the solution, is acknowledging what really has to take place for, for this addict in order for me to get sober which was the drug addiction was only a byproduct of something else that was wrong. Getting into long-term recovery, building a community like you've done in San Antonio right now is imperative because going for the traditional insurance 30-day stay is not enough. I can testify to that. Um, but when you look at the numbers, you can't argue with what the numbers say. They don't suggest it. They outright tell you that three or four or some ridiculously low number will stay sober for a year that go in for a traditional 28 to 30 day um, insurance stay. That's that's 3%. That means 97 people are going to relapse and not get a year sober. Well, that, that's a system that's set up to fail for sure. So we have to take them and detox them, and then we have to put them in and teach them all the things that they need to know and educate them. But it has to be done in a way that we keep them in a place where they live with other sober people for months at a time. Sometimes it can be over a year, as we all know. Those people have a really, really good shot at staying sober for a long time or a lifetime. And we always know that you're just one hand away from, from relapsing and everything. But to arm them with the ability to live a sober life, not to get sober... I didn't know how to live a sober life. I didn't know how to say no when I was confronted on set in a movie with somebody who had drugs. Or I, I could smell them out. I mean, you, you walk up to you and they're grinding their teeth and you're on your 15th hour of shooting and they're going, Hey man, how you doing? That was a great scene you just did, man. You were really good. And now, early on in sobriety, I would look at that cat and I'd go, Man, I want to go where he's going when he goes to lunch. And I'd follow him out. I would. I don't have to do that anymore. Alex Trigici, who's the director of operations at Sober here in San Antonio, um, he and I have, we, we made a movie together. And um, I'll tell you really quickly about this film. Um, it was the first time that I ever did uh, my fourth and fifth step. And it was with a guy named Bob Timmons. And Bob proceeded, I thought I had a lot of issues that I needed to get sober over. <clears throat> and Bob was known uh, in the record business. He had gotten you know, from members of the Beatles to Aerosmith to, you know, some, some people you would never have imagined could have ever gotten sober. And Bob was directly responsible for helping them get sober. So he became quite the guru in L.A. in the record, in the record business. And so I was told that I should do some work with Bob. And I do a spot-on impression of Bob. <clears throat> Bob passed away in 2006. But Bob 
he had a voice. He talked just like this. and He never really made eye contact with anybody when he was talking. I don't know if he was maybe a little autistic or something, but he was a kind of strange guy. And so often I'll see, you know, Steven Tyler or this guy go, do Timmons, do, do your push that Timmons. <clears throat> and then I, I met with Bob, and I wrote down my fourth, and he said, you know, Daniel, I know stuff must have been pretty crazy in the Baldwin household. But today we're going to leave it all right here at the table. We're going to go over all of it, all the really bad, scary stuff. I'm going to tell you a little story about me first so you can understand that nothing you can say to me is going to shock me. My mom was a hooker. She was an IV-using drug addict. And my brother Dennis and I, we would, you know, lived in a trailer park in Chino. And he went on to tell me the story about his mother getting the phone call and it was to go stop at some truck driver stopover and have sex with some unknown person to make money to make ends meet so she could keep up shooting heroin in front of her kids. Bob was seven years old. And Bob said to me, so my mom called me in and she said I had to get in the bathtub real fast because she was going to work. So I jumped in the tub and she came running back in and she wanted to take me to Uncle Phil's. Uncle Phil was the guy who lived in the trailer next to Bob. Uncle Phil was a local drunk, and his mother would come home with a little thing of Yukon, a fifth, whatever, and keep Uncle Phil busy, and he was more than happy to watch the kids. And Bob told his mother that he didn't want to go to Uncle Phil's. I don't want to go there anymore, Mom. Please don't make me go there. And she's scrubbing him up, and she's saying, you're going to Uncle Phil's. Mom has to go to work. Why don't you want to go to Uncle Phil's? Because Uncle Phil makes me play the game, Mom. And in that moment, she realized that this 60-year-old man was raping her 7-year-old son every time she dropped him off at his house. <clears throat> in that moment, she said, Robert, you don't get out of that bathtub. Mommy will be right back. And Bob looked at me and he said, I knew the shit was about to hit the fan when she called me Robert, boy. I wasn't sure what she was going to do, but I knew it was going to be bad. And I sat there for a long, long time, probably 45 minutes. The water was getting cold. And next thing you know, I heard the screen door open on that old Airstream. And her heels come clanking down the hall. And we just had a curtain in front of the bathroom. And she stuck her face in. And I could see just the front of her dress and her face. And there was a little bit of blood along the side of her face. And there was a little more blood on her dress. And I looked at her and I thought to myself, what happened to my ma? Then she stepped in a little bit further, and I could see from the low angle I was sitting at in the bathtub that there was blood pouring down from underneath her dress. And I thought, something terrible happened. Then my mom stepped all the way in and lobbed two objects on my lap in the tub. They were Uncle Phil's arms. She hacked them off with an axe from the shoulder down, and she said, don't worry, Bobby, he'll never touch you again. Seven years old went to prison for murder himself, did 25 years, and came out and started kidnapping family members who were IV heroin users and getting them sober in a remote cabin. I remember driving home from that fifth step thinking to myself, man, I thought I had some really screwed up stuff that I had to face. But this guy had two... 60-year-old arms thrown on his lap at seven years old, and he came out the other side and got sober and helped people get and stay sober. I got to tell that story somehow in a movie or something. I mean, cause you can't write that, you know. I mean, and and so and so I did. And and born of this film that Alex and I made together um, is the Sober Recovery Center here in San Antonio. I I actually sandbagged Greg. We were doing a a talk show, San Antonio Living. And we were talking about um, uh, recovery here in San Antonio and the film. 
and I said, yeah, well, Greg's going to donate a, a majority of the proceeds from this film, and uh, and he's going to do something for recovery here in San Antonio. We got off camera. He walked away. He goes, I am. I go, you are now. <laughs> yeah, we're on record, and I said it, so you better do it. So we looked around, you know, and we, we we looked and we saw, you know, that there was there was other places here that are that are fighting, but you're fighting such a a terrible battle numbers-wise here, and we haven't even begun to chip away at the tip of the iceberg with the military presence here and what's happening with them when they come back and and how difficult it is for them. Um, you know, I I've listened to a lot of people talk around town here now for a number of years, and I think one of the more difficult subjects because I'm, I'm not a politician um, and, and I don't know all the ins and outs. I just know this. I know that we're fighting a battle by battle each client that comes in and I know that there's an overall war going on and sadly I would have to say even though I'm in on the front line quite a bit myself, I think we're losing the war pretty badly right now. Um, I, I think we're fighting diligently and with great honor, but I think we're losing. And one of the big problems, and when we, we have members of legislation and so on that that come here and fight for us, is what's going on with everyone in, 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 in as far as the insurance world is concerned. It's so difficult. We want to scholarship everybody that comes. We want to help every person that comes, but we have to pay the bill for it. And And so what I've noticed going on particularly here in Texas has been this slow process of paying on claims and this starving people out that, you know, and, and, and not allowing you to get, when you buy the policy and your kid's going to die, you don't want to hear that they're not going to pay for the recovery. You want to hear my kid's going to get better and not end up being another one of these 49,000. That's the bottom line. That's what we want to hear. So I'm hoping that something will be done in the state of Texas, particularly here in San Antonio with the attorney general or whoever it is that has to step in and say to these big insurance companies, hey, you have to take care of these kids. We have to get them in for more than 11 days and one day of detox and, and two days. That's not going to help anybody. You're going to end up putting them in through the system six times and they're never going to get sober and they're going to end up dead or put them in once for six months and let's see if we can't deliver him back into the community and back to his family. So I'm, I'm, I'm down on showing up for any of that. I thought it would be really great if I got me and all my brothers and we started picketing the big ones, you know. That didn't go over very well. They didn't like that idea. CNN liked the idea. but So I'm, I'm going gonna, um, gonna to say that uh, I think that um, the most important thing for me in my recovery now has been um, the community. Um, being involved and, and, and getting to that 12th step and having had a spiritual awakening and reaching out to the addict that still suffers is the key for me. It was the one thing that I didn't do. Um, and now today I make myself available. Um, I'm, I'm on vacation right now in Syracuse with my mother who's not doing very well at 87 years old. But I got up at 3 o'clock this morning. I got on the plane in Syracuse. I landed in Dulles. I went from Dulles to here. And I'm on a plane at 4.30 this afternoon to go back and be with my mom. But this was important for me in my recovery to be here and share with you because I am pretty sure I am pretty sure I'm going to get on that plane and I'm going to stay sober today. I'm pretty sure about that. And this is a big part of why that's going to happen for me today because I make myself available to anyone or anything 
that has to do with recovery and needs my, my help. So that's a very, very important thing for me, as though does everyone in this room. So, so God bless you all, and thank you so much for having me. I'm going to, I'm going to end really quickly with um, one little joke. And this is my favorite recovery joke. Do you know that today it is possible, although they won't tell you this because you have to have a lot of money to do it, but you can get a brain transplant. You can, laugh, but it's true. So I went in with a guy who does this surgery. He's in Germany. And I asked him, well, what does it cost to do? And he said, well, it depends on what brain you want. I said, really? I have a choice? He goes, oh, yes. We have a historic brain section. And he undid the curtain, and I looked up. And in the left-hand corner, there was said $100,000. And I said, $100,000? Why would it be $100,000? I thought it was somewhere around $50,000. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. That's Sigmund Freud's brain. You can have Sigmund Freud's brain in your head for $100,000, installation included. I thought, wow. So I started scanning down a thing, and in the middle it said $500,000. I said, well, what's $500,000 is better than Freud? He said, that's Albert Einstein's brain. You can have Albert Einstein's brain for half a million dollars. And I went, holy crap. That would make me really smart. I might have to go with the 500000 Well, the one with the cobwebs on it, all the way in the corner that says $1 million. What's that one? He said, that's a brain of an alcoholic. It's never been used. <laughs> Are there any questions anyone would like to ask? And if you ask me which brain I took, I'm going to smack you right on the side of that. Anyone? The, the, the movie I made is called The Wisdom to Know the Difference from the third stanza of the famous serenity prayer, which opens and closes almost all 12-step meetings. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And it is about Bob Timmons, the man who had the arms cut off and thrown in his lap, first time he ever kidnapped, and it was a Latina girl, and he took her and drugged her. She was a stripper heroin user and a prostitute. He met her, drugged her, took her up to a cabin in, a, in the remote Big Bear in California, and she woke up with this 50-year-old white dude, and she went, who are you, Bobby? And he went, you're staying for the next 30 days. There's no way you're going to get out. And he detoxed her and got her sober off of heroin. And he proceeded to do this with many different people for many years until finally he had a family member who was a rock and roll person and broke into the rock and roll business and became, he didn't have to kidnap him anymore. They started paying him a lot of money to do it. But I did the story the first time that he ever kidnapped this girl. Yeah. Um, we're, we're right now in negotiations, Alex and I, uh, on selling the film. Um, we'll probably be out sometime next year. Anyone else? Anyone? Don't be shy. I'm leaving. How long what? 
I, I have to tell you that the first meeting I ever went to was Christmas Day, 1972. It was, if nothing would have ever deterred me from ever wanting to go into a 12-step meeting again, it was this. It was my father's brother, Charles, my uncle Charles, took me not to a hippie, but to a beatnik meeting in downtown Manhattan. And I walked in, and they sat down, and they went, groovy. Sober. <laughs> and I turned around, I looked around, and they had a guy that had, you know, shaking the maracas and everything. And I thought, holy crap, what is going on? And he was watching Alec and I, and we had to go to this meeting with him because he went every day. He was a bad alcoholic. But actually, I started going myself um, in the late 80s, and it took me until 2006 um, before I finally was able to stay sober for years. I want to ask you a question. In the journey of recovery and all that you went through, is Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life now? There he is, and there he'll always be. <laughs> I'll tell you that story real quick. <clears throat> My brother Stephen is a born-again Christian, has his own ministry. And Stephen said to me, uh, you know, when are you going to come? He said, you're never going to get this done if you don't come to the Lord. And I wasn't ready, I wasn't ready, I wasn't ready, and years went by. And then in 2002, I called Stephen up and I said, I think I'm ready. And he said, what are you ready for? Because it had been so long that I'd been an addict and he didn't even know what I was talking about anymore. I said, I think I'm ready for the Lord. He went, oh, yeah, oh my God, really? So we, we set this whole thing up, and I wanted to do it privately, and I went to uh, uh, Reverend Zane's little Christian church in Tucson, Arizona. And he, we went into uh, um, behind uh, um, the stage, and uh, it was Stephen, myself, Reverend Mike Esposito from Atlanta, Zane and his wife, and he has the big tank right up on the stage. And he said, I have to tell you something that, that I, I feel compelled to let you know. Only one time in my life, if, except for last night, have I ever actually heard the Lord speak to me, like heard his voice. He said, and that was when I got married. He said, and then last night. And last night, my wife heard it too. She was in bed, and I was brushing my teeth, and I heard, don't worry about tomorrow. I'm going to take care of this one. And so he, his wife then said, who are you talking to? And he said, did you hear that? And she said, yeah, who's going to take care of what? And he said, so the Lord told me before we get in there today that he's going to take care of it. So I, I you know, okay. You know, and I'd never been to a baptismal. I, I, you know, I, I knew that it was, I was being compelled to come to Jesus and that it was my time. I got in there, and I didn't realize that this was going to be like 20, 30 minutes, and people are speaking in tongues, and they're touching me. And, and as I'm standing there, and I had a good night's sleep, my legs start shaking. And they start shaking a little more, and then I'm feeling the power go out of my legs, like my knees are starting to buckle. So I grab the wall. And I'm grabbing the wall, and now I am fully supporting myself, holding on to the wall, of this, trying to keep my big, fat, 250-pound body out of this water. And I, and I couldn't, and I dropped under the water. And it was before you were supposed to go under the water. So they all, according to Stephen, looked at each other going, what is he doing? So they immediately jumped to that part of the service, and they grabbed me under the water. And now I didn't go under there and splash. I'm under there looking at their kneecaps. 
I was under there for 30 seconds. I could not get up off the ground. And I stayed there, stayed there. Finally, I started to feel my legs coming back, and I pulled myself up, and I, and I was running out of breath because it was an unexpected fall. I didn't take a big, <gasps> and get ready to go. And then I was reminded after I was done, the Lord told him he was going to take care of it. The Lord told him that he was going to do this one. He did. Praise God. Yeah, that's right. God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Uh, Daniel, uh, I just want to put you on the spot and see if you would come back and join us for the big Texas rally for recovery on October the 2nd. I'm in. All right. Yeah. If there's any more questions, let me know because I'm on a 4.30 flight and Mama's going to be real mad if I'm not on that plane. Please. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Ooh. Okay, okay. Cancel that. <laughs> okay. I promise. I promise. This I is am. I, I, I have the greatest, most beautiful, wonderful, <laughs> spiritual, God-loving wife. She is so great. Okay. Yeah. This, this is a quick one. I'd like to see if it's possible. I, do, I work with adolescents, and of course, as you shared with us earlier, the opiate rise is, is just very, very, very bad. Yes, ma'am. Is it possible to get a copy of your presentation today, your video, to show them in groups? Well, I'll tell you what. If you, uh, are you at a center? Uh, not at the moment. No? Okay. Well, what, if you'll get, get our number or whatever, I would be glad to come and speak to the people directly. Fantastic. That's a lot Thank better than a video. Okay. I, Thank you. I, I will acknowledge the succession of this, though, if you only listen to this as an audio tape. That went from, are you married? I have to get on a flight. This is a quick one. <laughs> Let's not do it as an audio because this is, not, this is going on right now. Anyone else? Yes, sir. You can get a hold of me through the SOBA, S-O-B-A, SOBA Recovery Center here in the Texas Hill Country. And if it, we're in town, we do two talk shows every month. So I'm here every month. And if there's a need for me to come stay for a few extra days because I need to go hit some recovery places or tell my story or help you in some way, I'd be more than happy to do that. I wanted, I wanted to see if there's any uh, boys will be boys stories between you and your brothers that would... Uh, I'll close with this story. <laughs> 
So my dad was a school teacher, a high school teacher in a, in a town called Massapequa, Long Island. And so he would come home. Thank you. Massapequa nights here? Wow. Um, so my dad would get, you know, he would grab school supplies from the school. And we used to get those big, remember the big felt black indelible ink that if you got it on your hand, it was there for a week. So we watched a movie with Humphrey Bogart in it one time, Alec and I. And uh, it, it was, remember the East Side kids, the, the, the uh, Slip Mahoney and Satch and all those guys, the Bowery Boys, they were called. Well, they, he, they, he walks up to, um, he walks up to uh, uh, the actor and he says, hey, mister, you don't want to talk to him. He's got the mark of the squealer. And they, back in the day in New York, the mob, if you ratted him out, they sliced your face so you had a scar on your face to tell everybody else that you were a rat. Well, we thought this was brilliant. So we couldn't slice each other. So we took the indelible ink and would hold Billy or Steven down. And we'd put this big, dark mark on their face, which was sandpaper you couldn't get off. So Billy proceeds. My, my parents are going to go uh, shopping to get groceries. And we've already marked Billy on both sides of his face because he keeps telling us. And we played a game with my brother Steven called Young Corporal. Stephen was about four. And so we would say, Young Corporal! And Stephen would come running in the room and he'd go, Yes, sir! And he'd salute us. We'd say, Go to the kitchen and get us iced tea and some bun cake. Yes, sir! Bun cake and iced tea, sir! And he'd run off. Well, Billy had just recently ratted on us, so we rolled Billy up in the hallway rug, which was probably about maybe ten feet long and four feet wide. And he was... He was seven... And so I was nine and Alec was 11. And we put him in the bathtub. We stuffed a sock in his mouth. Now, this is before waterboarding was famous. And we turned the shower on and let it drip on his face and roll down his face. And we were watching, I'll never forget, the New York Jets against the Oakland Raiders. And it was deep into the game. Joe Namath had just thrown for two fourth-quarter touchdowns. It was a tie game. We're going to overtime. We're, Stephen comes in and he goes... <laughs> Shut up, Stephen. But the water, the water, he'd been in there for like an hour. And the water was now above his lips and cresting his nostrils. His eyes were the size of silver dollars. He was absolutely paralyzed and craning his neck. Now, unbeknownst to Alec and I, who are now trying to get him out of there, this rug weighs 300 pounds. And we cannot get him out. We can't even move the rug. We're kids. So we're bailing the water out of the tub and pulled the sock out of his mouth. And once we get the water down to a below his chin, he goes, oh. Alec immediately turned the water up. God is my witness. He turned the water up. I looked at him and I thought, even at nine, I went, are you kidding me? Did you just turn the water up on him? The mark of the squealer. God bless you all. Thank you. How about Daniel Bo <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Baldwin's appearance was underwritten by Sober Recovery Center that he mentioned. They're in Malibu, California, and we are most grateful for the generosity and for Daniel Baldwin's willingness to be so open with us today. Another round of applause for Daniel Baldwin.
You rock, brother. You rock. And now is the time of the luncheon that we look forward to every year because it's the time when we get to honor some of Texas's true shining stars in our field. Texas has no shortage of amazing clinical professionals. In fact, Texas boasts more National Counselor Award winners than all the states but one. I'm not going to tell you which one. Uh, with that said, if there are any national NADAC award recipients with us today, please stand and be recognized at this time. Please stand up. Stand up, Scott. Yeah. We got a lot to be proud of. In fact, the 2016 NADAC National Award winners were just announced, and for the first time, a Texas clinician has brought home the William F. Bill Callahan Award, which recognizes sustained and meritorious service at the national level to the profession of addiction counseling. That shining star is with us today, and I ask that he stand and receive the true Texas ovation that he deserves. Stand up, Frank Davis! Yeah, you're the man. Woohoo! Wow. Representing the Texas Certification Board is Prevention Committee Chair Julie Stevens. And right now she's going to present the 2016 Texas Prevention Specialist of the Year Award. But before doing so, is there any former recipients of this honor in our audience? And if so, would you please stand? All right, round of applause. Come on up, Julie. Good afternoon, Daniel. Uh, my cheesecake is not sitting very well in my stomach after your story about the arms. I'm sorry, I'm a little nauseated right now. But uh, nevertheless, I have some important uh, news for everybody. Daniel mentioned that um, the key to sobriety and the key to um, our success in the addiction field is the community. And I want to say that I, that I really support that because if we can change community norms, community access, media messages, uh, and regulations and policies around substance abuse, addiction, and use, then uh, we will go a long way to preventing uh, the, the type of distress that, that a lot of people have um, in their lives and families as well. So, uh, and you all know what I say, prevention rocks. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Frank. Frank's uh, afraid we're going to run him out of business if we are that successful with prevention. Uh, but I'm very honored. To, first of all, I want to let you know that in 1994, the International Certification and Reciprocity Consortium created the Certified Prevention Specialist Credential. In 1997, the uh, predecessor to the Texas Certification Board of Addiction Professionals adopted it in the state of Texas, and I was uh, grandfathered in. Cynthia, were you grandfathered in in 97 as well? All right, so uh, it's been, that's been almost 20 years. Um, so we're, we're very honored that that uh, credential has been alive and well um, in the state. For the last five years, the International Certification, ICNRC, you all know what I'm, what I'm talking about, right, when I have to say the whole thing. 
um, instituted the International Prevention Specialist of the Year Award and encouraged states and jurisdictions to nominate uh, their, the finest of the fine prevention specialists in their states um, and submit their nominations uh, on an international level. So we started that about five or six years ago, and we've had five or six uh, uh, recipients since then. Two of them have won the international award. So what's that? Two out of five, like 40%, I don't know, I do the math. We've, we've done really well in Texas. And so, but it's really uh, my pleasure to introduce to you and to tell you about our recipient this year. Her name is Monica Hernandez Sanchez. She's LCSW, she's an Advanced Certified Prevention Specialist and International Certified Prevention Specialist. She's Director of Programs with Behavioral Health Solutions of South Texas since 2006. She's been mobilizing community members. Um, she has expanded the youth prevention programs services in 2014 to reach twice as many schools and community organizations as previously served in the Rio Grande Valley. She's a big influence in the Rio Grande Valley. She's expanded coalition efforts from one to five, five coalitions in the past three years, serving three counties as opposed to the one county. She's participated in state and national committees, um, Texas Training Certification Work Group, the Southwest Regional Team Service to Science Team, and the ICNRC uh, Prevention Specialist Item Writing Team as well. She also has participated in research with partnership with New York University, uh, developed prevention-specific trainings and guidelines for her area. Uh, Monica has taken a leadership role in prevention, ensuring quality management oversight to programs targeting all uh, students, pre uh, prevention, universal selective, and indicated populations in 19 counties in Region 11. She's ensured fidelity to the curriculum and cultural competency to the population served in that region, and it represents a high unemployment, high adolescent pregnancy rates, border gang violence, easy access to alcohol and other drugs at a low cost from drug trafficking. Monica's responsible for the success of Prevention Resource Center, Region 11 for South Texas as it transitioned from just being a clearinghouse to uh, gathering data and uh, serving the needs of the community. She has also was selected, and this is what is impressive to me, as one of only 18 associates in the country for SAMHSA's Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration, CSAT, Women's Addiction Services Leadership Institute. So I'm really proud of her for that. She's carried this experience into empowering her staff to continue to grow professionally in the area of prevention through contributing through education and pr promoting certification of her, of her staff as well. Um, Monica has made a major impact in South Texas, especially this past year with expansion of services under her leadership. South Texas has increased from two to five coalitions. She's built an extensive network of community support for data sharing and creating a, a regional needs assessment that's highly valued as a resource in uh, other health and human services organizations in the area. Uh, she continues to expand resources into the new and underserved rural areas. She's made an impact at the state level through her participation in committee appointments that have developed the Associate Prevention Specialist designation that we have uh, for TC TCBAP and remains a strong advocate in the area of policy and program design for environmental uh, studies. 
She embraces opportunities to enhance prevention, such as contributing to the research project in New York University sponsored by NIAAA, the National Institute on Alcohol and Alcoholism, investigating alcohol use among Mexican youth along the U.S. border region. Monica Hernandez-Sanchez represents the future impact of professional women, Hispanics, and native South Texas-grown and committed citizens focused on prevention and the health and the safety of our community. Uh, I am very sorry she's not here today to accept the award, but she has sent a representative, and I want to introduce to you Melissa Castillo. Melissa is Monica's support specialist, sidekick, right and left arms intact, right and left arms. So uh, she has a few words from, I can't, I can't get that out of my head. You know, it's kind of like you're trying to unhear that. I can't unhear that. Here, Melissa. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Can, we, can everyone hear me? Yes? Okay. Um, first and foremost, um, I would like to apologize because Monica is not here. Um, that being said, I would like to share some words uh, that she provided. I feel blessed to have the opportunity to work in the field of substance abuse prevention. As we strike, uh, as strikes we accomplish in our field, straighten individuals, families, and communities. I too am straightened by the passion my colleagues, Behavioral Health Solutions of South Texas team members, um, hold on just a second, CEO and board of directors demonstrate. Our collaborative contributions have long-lasting impacts that fuels prevention. It is truly an honor to be the recipient of the CIC and RC 2016 Texas Prevention Specialist of the Year, and I extend my gratitude to my husband, family, Behavioral Health Solutions, and colleagues for their support and passion for prevention. With gratitude, Monica Hernandez-Sanchez. Thank you. And prevention rocks, people, right? Prevention rocks. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Melissa. <clears throat> Our next award is for the 2016 Counselor of the Year. And I'd like to ask all previous recipients of this award to stand to be honored. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Joining me on the stage right now will be Suzanne Lofton, who uh, nominated this year's winner on behalf of the Fort Worth TAP chapter, as well as Ernest Patterson, who received the honor last year. Come on up. I want to introduce Shirlene Tucker. I have known Shirlene for several years. She has been an inspiration um, to me and to so many in the Fort Worth area. Shalene's been an, in the addiction profession for more than 20 years. She began her professional career in, eight, in 1987, working with mothers struggling with addiction in New York City. In 1993, she joined the clinical staff at Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn, New York, where she served as an addiction counselor. She moved to Texas, 2004, joined the staff at the Texas Department of Criminal Justice Perot Division in Fort Worth, Texas. 2005, she joined the counseling staff of the Tarrant County Community Sur Supervision and Corrections Department, the Adult Probation, where she has served as staff counselor, lead counselor, and currently serves as a program supervisor for the day treatment program. 
She is responsible for outpatient and aftercare substance abuse treatment programs, the cognitive treatment and the cognitive aftercare programs, and the offender education programs offered at CSCD. Because of her love of working in the field of addiction, Charlene has, <coughs> excuse me, Charlene volunteered from 2008 to 2012 for the Tory program. That's Texas Offender Reentry Initiative. She served as the substance abuse facilitator, providing counseling to offenders coming out of the prison system. 2012, she received her master's in professional counseling. 2016, she continued to have a desire to serve more in the field of addiction. This time, she decided she wanted to serve where decisions were made for the field of addiction and was nominated and elected to the Texas Board of Addiction Professionals. She will join us this weekend or tomorrow as a member of our TAP board. Thank you. Wow, I am, this is an honor as well as a, a privilege to be honored by my peers. I wanna thank the TAP board for nominating me and, and allowing me to have this privilege. Uh, I wanna also thank um, my boss is here. She retired and she's the one who gave me the opportunity to grow and I just wanna thank Cindy Williams for just out of her retirement, she came to support me today. And, but I love counseling. Um, no matter which way I go or how deep I go, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic and I lived my life behind the scenes and it is a struggle, it's a struggle. We don't come into this field just because we want the money, correct? Correct. We come into this field because we want to help somebody. And unfortunately, my father lost the battle uh, in October of 2015. He died of Wannakee's Korsakoff syndrome. That is the dementia for alcoholics. And so the fight goes on. And I'm going to continue the fight in this field because I believe in this. I want to thank my husband for always supporting me. And I thank you all. Again, God bless you. Congratulations, Charlene. And a near and dear to many of our hearts is the Terry B. Hale Texas Addiction Professional of the Year Award. And I know that we have some previous recipients here of this award in the audience this afternoon. Would you please stand and be recognized? Yeah. Last year, the award was presented to Eddie DeRolay. Eddie could not be with us today due to some health reasons. Uh, we certainly wish him well in a speedy recovery. Here to present the award is the person who made the nomination, Julie Lloyd Atkinson, on behalf of the San Antonio Chapter of TAP. Come on up, Julie. Uh, good afternoon. One of the things I do want to make clear is this was a chapter vote. We, Sherry wasn't able to make the meeting one day, so we voted her and said we wanted to do this. Because if you guys do not know Sherry Layton or have not heard the name Sherry Layton, then you've either brand new in this professional or you haven't been paying attention to what's going on. Sherry is involved in almost all aspects of this profession. She has been our regional vice, our NADAC's regional vice president. 
She is an advocate. She teaches us all. She's a mentor. And she still works as a counselor and, and helps oversee some of the interns and do stuff at her treatment center. She works at La Hacienda. You know, she is a mentor to all of us. So since all of us voted her in, I got some of the people who helped to nominate her. Give me a few sentences to read about her. I have always found her to be a consummate professional who I admire greatly. All her presentations I've attended have been full of useful information that I've been able to utilize in my job. Her determination to follow through with the legislative process on behalf of TAP and the clients we serve is absolutely awe-inspiring. The next one, I am always very impressed with her incredible knowledge base about addiction and have been inspired by her advocacy for our profession and the people we serve. Sherry is a great ambassador and advocate for our profession. Sherry has been a professional leader in teaching people from our profession how to interface with our elected officials. Her work has allowed professionals to learn to be confident in advocating for our clients and creating dialogue with our lawmakers about the needs of our citizens who get addicted to drugs and alcohol. Sherry leads the charge in Washington, D.C. on behalf of our profession to meet the needs of our American citizens who need a voice. All of the members of the San Antonio chapter that nominated Sherry, would you guys stand up and be recognized? Because we all were behind this. Yeah. And then the last little tidbit I want to put on before she comes up is, for those of you who don't know, Sherry started the golf tournament for the TAP conference. She is in charge of it. She spearheaded it. She got it going. She had been involved in another golf tournament before, and it, I admire the fact that she took this on again because she knew what the work was going to be involved in. You know, and she is a very big inspiration to me. She's been in profession forever. I've been doing this for 31 years. She beat me to it. She's been doing it a lot longer than that, although she's not that old. You know, so I would like, you know, she started young. So I would like, with great honor, to introduce our professional of the year, Sherry Layton. Okay, that wasn't fair that she did that. I was like doing really good, and then she like made me get teary. Um, thank you so much. Um, I was really going to try to do this and not cry, and my husband said, there's no way you won't cry. Um, <laughs> um, I really do thank the San Antonio chapter. I'm not able to be very involved with the chapter because I go west to work every morning and they're east when they have their meetings. Um, and so I'm very, very grateful that they remembered me in spite of the fact that, that I'm really not, don't get the opportunity to be that involved with them. Um, and um, this is a very humbling um, award to receive and there's a lot of people who have received this in the past that I have great respect for. Um, you know, I, I started in my career um, in, uh, as an evening tech, a 3 to 11 tech, um, my, the summer after my freshman year of college. The two qualifications that I had for that job is I was sober and I knew how to take blood pressures. Um, and from there, a career evolved. Um, so you just, you never know where you're going to start. You never know what God has in store for you because I certainly didn't anticipate that this would be the, the career path that I would follow 39 years later. 
Um, TAF is very meaningful to me because it's been a consistent part of my career since 1983. In Corpus Christi, we needed a way to um, organize our profession, and so we organized a chapter there. And it has been the consistent thing throughout my career. Anywhere, anytime that I have moved to a new place, I have been able to go to TAP, and I've Im immediately had colleagues, and I very quickly have had friends uh, as a result of those relationships. And lots of people that I uh, knew way back then were still friends today, and were still professional colleagues. And one of the greatest assets that I have as a professional is the network. And that and TAP has allowed me that network. That's why I'm so committed to this organization. Um, Julie talked a lot about the advocacy stuff, and that really is a passion of mine. I never knew that that was something that I was going to fall in love with. Um, and I, you know, I have to acknowledge my employer. Uh, I do work for La Hacienda Treatment Center. I've been there for 24 years. Um, richly blessed uh, by the opportunities that they have given me. Um, and, you know, they've trusted me and they've allowed me to do these things that have benefited all of us. And so, you know, for them, it's a very, very much a thank you um, for trusting me to do this work. Um, and then I just have to thank my family. My kids are here. My beautiful two-month-old grandson, if you didn't get a chance to see him, he's outside. Um, and also, um, I have to say thank you to my husband, Steve. He's incredibly supportive of all these crazy things that I want to do, and I couldn't do it without him. Thank you all very much. Wow. Congratulations, Sherry. Thank you, Julie. We continue on with our awards program this afternoon. The most prestigious honor bestowed by TAP is the Texas Hall of Fame Award. Now, the award is not presented every year, but instead only when an individual's body of work has been identified as exemplary, a major contribution to the field as well as to the TAP organization. And at this time, I'd like to ask that any former inductees to the Texas Counselor Hall of Fame please come forward and join me on stage for the next presentation. Last year, this prestigious honor was bestowed on our friend Frank Davis. Joining Frank in making this year's presentation is Kay Rowe Smith, who nominated this year's recipient on behalf of the Dallas TAP chapter. Good afternoon. Everything that everybody's already said, can you hear me? Okay, everything that everybody's already said about the counselor of the year, the professional of the year, all. This year's recipient encompasses all of that. Um, and to keep from getting emotional, I'm going to read my little script, okay? So um, this year's recipient was nominated by me in the Dallas chapter of TAP, and we are very proud that she is also a member of our Dallas chap chapter. Getting people to write letters for recommendation wasn't, wasn't a hard task at all. because she's well-known and loved in the industry. 
a few of the comments that were written by some of the colleagues and her students was that she's a loyal friend, a fierce volunteer, a public advocate, and role model. She's an inspiration to me personally and professionally. Not, not just me. Somebody else said that too. Uh, she's a committed leader and has the kindest of hearts. She brings energy and enthusiasm to whatever she's involved in, even if it's riding the bull at Metamorphos. She's assisted so many with personal growth and development. It is with great joy that I announce the most recent inductee into the Texas Counselor's Hall of Fame, Paula Heller Garland. Try not to cry, but I'm in a room full of counselors, and that's what y'all do, right? I'm honored. I'm overwhelmed to be considered qualified to receive. I'm so grateful for my chapter, for Kay. I met Kay at a TAP conference for the first time on a day that I had received some of the worst news I've ever gotten in my life, and she's loved me ever since. And that's what I found at TAP. I get that from so many of you. And I'm so grateful. All of us deserve an award for what we do every day. We do things that most people would want to run from. And we keep coming back and we keep showing up. And it's not a job for me. I've wanted to help since I was in the second grade. And I'm so grateful that I have the clients that I've had. And now that I get to educate students to become our next counselors. I've been doing it for 23 years, which is half of my life, and I know it's hard to tell. <laughs> when I was 15, my mom took me to a counselor for the first time, because I was a peach. <laughs> and she helped me the whole time read and search and grow. And it's her who set me in this direction, and I'm so grateful, and I wish she was here today. I'm grateful for my family and all the time that they allow me to be away so I can serve because they're the ones who really, really deserve the credit because I'm gone so much doing what I love to do. And I'm so honored. In our profession, we don't get to bring our families along to a lot of what we do because of all the confidentiality and stuff, and I'm so grateful that they're here with me today, my sister, my brother, my baby daddy, <laughs> and my son, who is the reason God put me on earth, Caleb. Thank you all very much. Wow, what a great honor. Congratulations, Paula. Coming up to the stage now will be Mr. Aaron Pena. You all know him. He's a longtime friend of TAP. 
and a true champion in the fight against addiction. Someone who has battled this disease both in his own backyard as well as on the floor of the Texas House of Representatives. It is truly an honor to have him join us again this year and to present a scholarship given by TAP in memory of his son. And also joining him for the very first time is Monica Pena, the mother of John Austin Pena. I think, can you all hear me? Can you hear me? You can? Okay. I, I can't tell you what an honor it is for me to come here. Each and every year I say the same thing, but I really mean it. Uh, you all inspire me. In, inspire me to be a better person. Uh, those are great speeches. Those are great people who deserve recognition. I thank you all for what you do. Let me tell you why I'm here. I, uh, Fifteen years ago, our son, uh, John Austin Pena, passed away. Uh, he died of a, a drug overdose. And it, it, it uh, threw us in a ditch. And we, we tried to struggle to figure out what was going on, and we didn't know anything about addiction. So we immersed ourselves. And thank God he helped us find this organization. And you all took us under your wing and because of the, the graciousness and the goodness of donors who contribute to a scholarship, each year I get to come back and be inspired by your lives and what you do. Uh, this year, fortunately, uh, John's mother is here with us. This is Monica Pena. Um, it's a real honor because uh, it was very difficult for her to, to ever show up to do these sort of things. But... You know, life goes on, and God gives us work to do. And so the little work I have to do is to recognize the recipient of the John Austin Memorial Scholarship. This scholarship is given out to a young person uh, to assist him in furthering his career in the sort of work you all do. What a wonderful thing. And I'm told by my good friends here at TAP, don't forget to mention that there's a contribution card on every desk, <laughs> on every table. And so uh, if you find the card, if you want to contribute and assist those in contributing to the fund, it's there, and you can leave it at the registration desk. If not, stop me, and we'll find a way to get the money to tap and continu continue doing this. With that, uh, I want to recognize... Uh, the recipient here at the 42nd Annual TAP Conference of the John Austin Pena Memorial Scholarship uh, being Connor Gunstrom, if I said that correct. Connor, are you here? Connor, I've been coming to these things for 15 years, and the check is always good. <laughs> Put it to good use. Congratulations. Let's give them a round of applause.
want a picture? Okay. Thank you very much. Congratulations. I'd like to uh, now ask Suzanne Lofton to make the final presentation. Okay, so each year the conference awards grants to an aid scholarships based on proceeds from the conference revenue to entities that help in some way to fight the battle of, of addiction. This year we honor the San Antonio College Human Services Department. Accepting to the check for today is Dr. Ed Bergen, professor and program coordinator. Photo op. Thank you very much. Before closing today, we want to take a moment to thank our incredible exhibitor and sponsors for their support of TAP and for helping to make this conference one of the largest and most successful in the country. Our premier sponsor again this year is Nova Recovery Center. And I'd like the staff of that wonderful treatment center to stand and be acknowledged for your ongoing support. You are rock stars. Yeah. Keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, these sponsors have made this and previous conferences very successful. We ask you to please support them, please thank them, and please encourage them in their ongoing support of TAP. Let me tell you who the additional sponsors are. Hold your applause until the end. Sober Recovery Center, Gilead, Creative Counseling, Eudaimonia Sober Houses, The Arbor, La Hacienda, American Addiction Center, Infinite Recovery, Burning Tree, Summer Sky, the Right Step Promises of Austin, Memorial Herman Prevention and Recovery Center, San Antonio Recovery Center, BRC, Outpatient Houston, Ranch at Clear Springs, Vista Taos, Laurel Ridge, Rock Springs, Springboard Center, Origins, we get a lot of sponsors, thank you so much, Addiction Specialty Group, Recovery Unplugged, Hyatt Hill Country Resort and Spa, and the San Antonio Convention and Visitors Bureau. We could not do it without you, and with you, we are all together in this. Give all of the sponsors a big round of applause. They make this ship sail. Suzanne? Okay, so this is the closing remarks. If you've enjoyed this year's conference, please come back next year for the conference August 17th through the 19th. 
As uh, stated earlier, the conference theme is Heroes, the Convergence of Superpowers. All of you are superheroes. Please come back. I'm sure that you won't want to miss this. And since our hotel rooms and sponsorships sell out so early, you please start making reservations now for that. We hope you, that you've enjoyed today's luncheon. This concludes today's program. However, I do want to announce our uh, decoration, the booth decoration winners. In third place, we have Infinite Recovery. Is anyone from Infinite Recovery here? Okay, we'll make sure they get theirs. Second place is Taylor Recovery. Anyone from Taylor? And in first place, Kima Palms. So it's been a pleasure being here with you, and we hope that you come back for next year's conference. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, in conclusion, I want to thank this year's tremendously deserving award winners. They are heroes one and all. And also to invite everyone here to join your friends and help us celebrate recovery at the big national Texas rally for recovery. Uh, Daniel Baldwin has agreed to be there. Join us on Sunday, October 2nd in Dallas. You can go to texasrecovers.org and find out more about it. On behalf of Summer Sky and everyone connected with the conference, thank you so much. And remember, the bright side of addiction is recovery. Enjoy the rest of the conference. <laughs>